Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. When that bell goes on that first little dun, I was like, oh, I literally was like, this is going to be the greatest experience that I have had in a long, long time watching a movie. If you've been here at the bridge before, I mentioned uh, that Top Gun's one of those movies that I kind of grew up as a kid watching. It was like one of those timeless, classic movies that you just have to watch. And, uh, my wife at the time had not seen it, but a month ago, uh, on Friday night, we watched the original, and she was kind of like, I don't get what the hype is about. It wasn't that great. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> for better, for worse, richer, or poor, <laughs> we're in this thing. But then we watched the next one together. And if you have not seen it, you need to go watch it. I'll tell you, I got done watching this movie and I literally thought I could run through a wall. Like you're just like, yes, this is awesome. There's fast planes. There's cool stuff. There's explosions. This is the greatest movie of all time. And I could not help but just like speak about it. But it's one of those things that as I was watching it, first of all, I was like, because technology and film has come a long way since 1980-whatever to 2020. Uh, It was like, holy buckets, this is epic. But then at the same time, like that inner pastor within me, uh, when you're a pastor, you kind of just like, well, just randomly be just hanging out and you're kind of like, cool, that's a sermon illustration. I should use that sometime. That's just kind of one of the the things that you have to go through as life as a pastor. But realistically, as soon as I was watching this movie, I knew full well we were coming into church at the movies, and I knew this one's making the cut because there's so much of a theme within this movie that the Lord had been working on me on that I believe he was also speaking to our church. And so um, a common adage I have heard in my life a lot is if you plan to fail, fail to plan, nailed it. (laughs) If you fail to plan, you, how'd you guys get that? I don't know how you did that. But if you fail to plan, plan to fail. And as someone who historically in my life was not someone who was great at like sitting down and planning things, I heard this a lot. But I think I'm going to make a small tweak to this common phrase that I think is a little bit more universal, a little bit more uh, for everybody. And it goes something like this. Plan to fail. Plan to fail. Plan to fail. In your life, plan to fail because you will. In your marriage, plan to fail. In your job, plan to fail. In raising your kids, plan to fail. In your friendships, plan to fail. In big things, we'll fail. In small things, we will fail. In the team you choose to cheer for on a Sunday, plan to fail. It just happens. In your walk with Jesus even, plan to fail. Because failure at some point in some area of your life will happen. At some point in some situation, it's going to come. You can try to avoid it. You can try to resist it. You can try and do all these things to bury it away. But at some point, you will fail. Plan for it. Plan on it. 
And this very reality is something that in this room, I think a lot of us agonize over. Because last week I talked about failure. I talked about how there's so many things in our life that we are worried about or that we are scared of. Physical things like snakes, spiders, armed bad guys, all that kind of stuff. But there's also other things that we're scared of. Not being financially secure. Not being able to face the day because we're going through something. There's all these different fears that we have. But if I was to be so bold this morning, I think that there's a fear in this room that I think transcends a lot of the other ones. And it's a fear of failure. We are scared to fail. Because the very idea of setting out to do something or start something or stepping out in boldness and courage and coming up short or failing is something that like cripples us. It worries us. It's one of those things that we feel like it just, it'll eat away at you. And it's one of those things that if you have a really, really intense fear of failure, even when things are going well, there's a, there's a hesitancy there. There's a waiting for the other shoe to drop because you know failure's coming and what's it gonna be like when it comes? It's a real, real fear. It's a real thing for a lot of us. And it's one of those things that I think if we were to just really grab onto it and we were to really kind of come to grips with it, fear of failure is one of the things that keeps us from stepping into new things. The idea that if if we step into this, there is a chance, there's a good chance that we're going to fail. It's one of those things that creates hesitancy to step into it because we don't want to fail. We don't want to have to go through it. But this morning, I want to challenge us because I think failure is something we don't talk enough about. We need to talk about it more because there's automatically a negative connotation attached to it. Even as I say, you're going to fail, plan to fail. You're like, geez, this guy sure is a buzzkill. This is so depressing. Like plan to fail. This is not what I want at church. There's a negative connotation because we don't even want to go there. We just want to be positive. We're going to succeed. It's not going to fail. It's going to be good. That's what we kind of run to. And it kind of feels like good success, bad failure. But I don't think that's what failure is realistically meant to be as if the antithesis to success was failure. I don't think that is how life is meant to be because failure is something that I think can be very constructive because failure is not permanent. Failure is not forever. And so I need to challenge us to see failure differently. This is not some group think like just change your perspective. Everything's going to be fine. Like I know failure is something tough for us to wrap our minds around because it's going to come. That's not always a great reality, but While failure is inevitable, our response to it is not. Check out this clip from Maverick. You'll fly a route in your nav system that simulates the canyon. The faster you navigate this canyon, the harder it will be to stay under the radar of these enemy SAMs. The tighter the turns, the more intensely the force of gravity on your body multiplies, compressing your lungs, forcing the blood from your brain, impairing your judgment and reaction time. For today's lesson, we're going to take it easy on you. Max ceiling, 300 feet. Time to target three missiles. Good luck. Time to target is one minute 30. We are two seconds behind. Increase to 480 knots. We've got to move, Coyote. Copy. Increase the speed. Oh, oh shit. 
Where are they dead? We broke the 300-foot ceiling, and Sam took us out. Yeah. Why are they dead? I slowed down, and I didn't give her a warning. It's my fault. Was there a reason you didn't communicate with your family? I was focusing on... When that their family will accept that you killed them? None, sir. Why didn't you anticipate the turn? You were briefed on the terrain. No, help me. Don't do Stanley. Hey, man, ease up. The canyon's getting tighter. Negative payback. Increase your speed. You're going too fast, man. Well, no harm in being ahead of schedule. Damn it, slow down. I can't stay on the course. Ah, you're gonna hit the wall. Watch out, watch out, watch out. Good. That's good, Gavin, right there. That's good. I edit out the I edit out the clips with the swear words, and some of them are still in there. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna save the rest of them. But uh, apologies on purpose. We did edit those out, but for whatever reason, they're still in there. But you get the kind of point that's happening here in this movie. These these pilots are faced with an impossible task. If you haven't seen the movie, if you haven't seen uh, kind of how this all goes down, it's one of those things where. Basically, Maverick is being brought in as the expert. If you're familiar with the original Maverick movie, he was the best of the best. He was the best pilot out there. And so they bring him in saying, you know what? We have the next class. We have the young guns who are in here who need to carry out an impossible mission, and we need you to train them. We need you to be the one that gets them ready this and so maverick says something in the movie earlier on where he says these pilots have been told for the last how many years that they are the best of the best there's an ego inside of these guys and we need to break that down because this mission that we have is almost impossible but it is possible and so he's showing you're in, in this clip you're seeing that these pilots are worthy of failing they try to do this thing and they go through and, they, and, they're, and they're, not, they're not getting it. They either come up too high, which means they're going to get shot down by the missiles, or they're going too slow, which means the other enemy soldiers are going to have enough time to get to their planes and shoot them down. And so Maverick is saying, we need to get better. And he's super, super strict with them saying, why were you late? Why, like, why are you dead? Because if they don't hit this mission perfectly, they're dead. They are gone. And so Maverick, the whole point of what he's doing in this very clip is he's showing them literally you can fail. You haven't yet experienced failure in a long time because you're told you're the best of the best. You're top gun. You're super good. So don't worry about it. Anybody that comes at you, they're going down. And Maverick's saying, no, 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 no. You actually can't do this one. He's hard on them. He's strict on them because he wants them to see they can fail. And why would he do that? Why would he try and break them down and make them second guess themselves? Why would they try and make it so that they couldn't do what they're called to do? Why is he robbing them of their confidence? He must see there's a purpose to showing that they can fail. He must be showing them that there's actually good things that can come from when they're told they're failing. It'll make them better pilots, which will make them stay, stay alive. You see, a life without failure is a life without growth. If you are going through life and you're not failing, you're not going to grow. Because you grow almost the most 
when you're going through a season of failure. Sure, you can grow when, you're, when things are going well. Sure, you can grow when your life is a success. But when you experience a failure, it makes you reevaluate. It makes you reassess. It challenges you and spurs you on to keep on going. Your life will grow as we fail. Because without a healthy dose of failure, I would so much as to say that we can't live the lives that God's called us to live. In 1978, there was a high school sophomore who showed up for a basketball tryout. He was five foot ten, and the things that the coaches noticed the most was his explosive effort. He really, really put a lot of effort into what he was doing. But he was small. He was five foot ten, lanky. He could handle the ball really, really well. But his some of the coaches were on record saying his shot was mediocre. So at the end of the year, it's sophomore year. There are two sophomores that are trying out for varsity. One of them goes on to play varsity. He's six foot seven as a 15-year-old, which I don't know how that's possible, quite honestly. But he's, he's huge. He's six foot seven. He's got the right components. This team was historically small. So Leroy Smith, a six foot seven, 15-year-old, goes on to play varsity. It was awesome. It was super cool. The other sophomore trying out went home. He went home, sat in his bedroom with tears in his eyes because he didn't make the varsity team. Now, the rest of the details are a little murky, but we don't hear about this player until the junior year, the year to follow. He put on some weight. He put on some inches. He put on some height. But he must have been putting in a whole lot of work because the next year he comes around, the tryout coaches, all the people that are observing him go, man, this kid has changed. This is a different kid. This kid named Mike began to shine. So much so that he would go on to just ball out as a junior year. Absolutely light the league on fire as senior year. He'd go on to a little college called the University of North Carolina, where he would become one of the best players to ever go through there. Also known as the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan didn't make the varsity team until his junior year. As a sophomore, he was sitting in his room with tears in his eyes because he felt like he missed the mark. He had failed. He had set out to be on varsity. He had set out to be a baller. But what happened is that sophomore year, he was faced with the hard, stinking reality of failure. And what Michael Jordan did is he used that failure as encouragement. He used that failure as fuel to get to the gym, to get in there, and to continue pressing on to what he was set out to do. A life without failure is a life without growth. We can ask the same of Moses. See, Moses in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 18, Moses was an unlikely hero, an unlikely leader. Moses had a crazy life story. I can't get into the whole thing right now, but basically there was a time in which all of Israel was slaves to Egypt. The Egyptians were using them for slave labor, all the grunt work, all the nasty stuff. And the Israelites were saying, God, where are you? This is the worst. Would you please deliver us from this slavery? Would you please get us out? And God says, yes, I'm sending a man named Moses. And Moses, again, was an unlikely hero. He had a speech impediment. He doubted himself. He had all kinds of different flaws and things that went on, but he inevitably said yes. And as he says yes to God and follows God and trusts God with his whole life, 
God uses Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. It's super amazing. It's super awesome. So much so that there's kind of like this little like party here in Exodus chapter 18 when his father-in-law Jethro shows up. Exodus chapter 18, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. There is a whole party happening here. Jethro's dad is saying, praise God. He led you through. There was all those tough things that came. There were things that happened. But guess what? You were successful. God did what he said he would do. Things are going really well. That's awesome. Yes. They're having this party. But this is in verse 10. Look what happens in verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You hear that from your father-in-law, that's usually not a great thing to hear. What you're doing is not good. This is not good. If I were to translate this into, um, into like 2022 speak, this would be like, what are you doing? What in the world are you doing? Because what was wrong with this picture is that Moses was doing everything. He was the guy. He was the guy who was up from morning until evening. And all day long, people were coming to them with their problems, with their issues, with their disputes, with their every single problem comes. And Moses was having issues keeping up with it. If I were to break this down in simple terms, what Jethro is seeing is Moses is on a fast, track, a fast track to burnout in a huge way. See, he was successful, but internally he was failing. Sometimes success can kind of mask that there's things that we're doing that are more like failures. And which is why sometimes when we just chase success and we don't acknowledge that there are things inside of us that we need to work on, things inside of us that we need to improve, we're actually harming ourselves. Because all we're doing is chasing success and not assessing the failure. See, failure is not always a bad thing. Failure is something that can help. And you might look at this and go, okay, that's not a huge deal. Hey, it's just, it just, yes, burnout's not good, but it's like, I don't consider that a failure. But look at the literal definition of failure. It says this, failure is the omission of expected or required action. The omission, meaning without required action. He was failing to protect himself as a leader. And the problem with that is that they only are following him. So if Moses goes down, if Moses burns out, if Moses stops leading the people, they have no one to follow. Which is why Jethro is saying, you know what? 
we need to protect you because you are chasing God. You are the one who is saying, I, I'm going to be using you. What will make you successful in life is not how much you fail, but what you do with that failure. Another name I'll share for you, one that might be a little bit more familiar to some of us who are baseball fans in the room. Kirby Puckett was one of the best players to ever put on a Minnesota Twins jersey from an athletic standpoint. I did a little bit of research on him this week. There's a few things off the field that were more problematic, but strictly as a ball player, Kirby Puckett was one of the best to ever do it. He ended with an average batting average of .318. A 318 for a batting average over the course of your career is stellar. It's actually so stellar that it's Hall of Fame worthy. But let's think about that for a second. That means a .318 batting average means 31.8% of the time Kirby Puckett gets a hit. Which means almost 70% of the time that Kirby Puckett walks up to the plate to hit the ball into play, 70% of the time he fails to do the job. 70% of the time he fails. And that's Hall of Fame worthy. 70% failure. That's Hall of Fame worthy. Success is not the absence of failure. Success is using the failure that comes into you in life. Success is making the bad things, the things that you missed the mark, the omission of the required action. Success is using your failure for something constructive. Learning from it, assessing yourself, not scorning yourself, not disqualifying yourself, not taking yourself out of the game, but learning from it and responding to it, just like Maverick did in this last clip. Maverick to range control. Entering point alpha. Confirm green range. Setting time to target, two minutes, 15 seconds. 215, that's impossible. File attack point. Maverick's inbound.
That's good, Gavin. See, what happens in this, at this point in the movie is that Mav was the teacher. He was the guy, but the pilots weren't getting it. They were failing over and over and over again, and they, and they finally surmised that the higher-ups were going, they can't be done. We have to figure out a new plan, a new strategy, and just take our risk and hope that, the, that we can slow down and, and kind of just make it through. And so because of that, they said, Mav, you're out. We're going to teach them on our own. You're grounded. You're done. Your career is over. And so Maverick is kind of going, well, that's it. Dang it. This is not good. This is no good. And so what happens is then he talks to the lady in the movie who says, since when do you ever let failure define what you're going to do? And so in this clip, Maverick jumps in the cockpit himself and says, I'm going to show you guys that this is possible. I'm going to show you that what we are setting out to do is something that can happen. He had failed as a teacher. The students had failed to meet the mission, but he did not let failure define what the reality was. He used that failure as a way to respond to it. He responded to the failure in his life. And I think some of us in here, we look at Moses' failure and we go, you know what? Yes, I get it. Yes, burnout's no good. Yes, he failed. But some of us are going, but the failures I have in my life are a little bit more intense. I failed in my marriage, whether it was infidelity, whether it was we just didn't fight through things, whether it was I made some really, really big mistakes in my marriage, and so I failed. Maybe we feel like we failed in raising our kids. I wish I'd done a better job this way. I wish I had spent more time here. I wish I could have done this, that, or the other thing. Sometimes we fail in our place of work so much so that we cost the company thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes it feels like we kind of got in the way of somebody else's job. Sometimes failure in your place of work resulted in termination of your job. And so now you can't provide for your family and be there for your family, whether it's a moral failure, leadership failure, legal failure, scheming failure, whatever it is, sometimes those failures feel just a little bit heavier, a little bit more life-defining. But I think some of us live underneath these titles that we think God thinks of us when in reality, he never does. Because I think for some of us, a lot of us go, you know what? Um, I love Jesus. And so I am a son or a daughter of God. And that's really, really good. But at the, at the same time, um, I also really struggle with some addictions. And so yes, I am a son of God, but I'm also an addict. And I still got these failures in my life. You know, and it's not just the fact that I'm an addict. I kind of just cheated my way into this, that, or the other thing. And so, um, yes, God still loves me. And yes, that's really good. But I still have all these failures that are defining for me in my life. Um, I also love going around people behind their back and just kind of making their, them look terrible. And I'm really good at this one. Um, I'm just one big old liar. 
So what happens is we go, yes, I'm a son of God, but I'm also a liar. I'm also a gossip, also a cheater. I'm also an addict. And the problem with this is you will inevitably live up to your identity. If your identity is the fact that you are a liar, if you are a gossip, you will only naturally begin to do those things. And instead of beginning to triumph over them and get over them, we live under the identity that we put upon ourselves. So when we think that we're liars and we think that we're gops and we have all these failures in our life and we let them become identities for us, we never get past them. We never learn from them. And it's not just us. Look at the Bible. Moses, who I just talked about, an amazing leader. In Numbers chapter 20, he didn't trust God fully. He tried to make a miracle happen on his own accord. He didn't trust God. Noah was a drunk. Jonah went on the run. King David was literally slept with another man's wife and tried to cover it up by killing her husband. Peter denied Christ three times. Samson relied on his own strength over and over again. The disciples, in the moment of Jesus' biggest need, fell asleep on him. Ananias and Sapphira swindled money away. Paul literally made it his whole life mission to kill Christians. And Samuel, what else talked about to start this morning, had two of the worst kids on planet Earth. You want to talk about failure? It's not just us. The Bible is littered with people who failed and failed big. Big, big failure. You can look high and low. Don't don't just take my word for it. I'd encourage you, go into the scripture, go into the Bible. Anything I ever say up here, go look for yourself. I'm not so prideful to say, I, I just believe what I say. I want you to study and look for yourself as well. But when you look in the word of God over and over and over again, all of these successful leaders that we talk about on a Sunday morning were also really big failures in the worst possible way. They all have different upbringings. They all have different ideas. They all have different life experiences. But at the end of the day, they all fail. They're unified under that. But here's the difference. I want us to catch the difference. They may have failed but they were not failures. Because here's what happens. Yes, Peter denied Christ three times. Yes, he, had, he, he really, really messed up in the worst possible way. But do you know what God calls Peter? He calls them the rock. He says, you are the rock on which I will build my church. Guess what? David, oh yeah, that guy that was a really good military success, he did a lot of good things, but also kind of had just that small little blemish of sleeping with another man's wife, getting her pregnant, and then killing her bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, guess what he was known as? A man after God's own heart. Okay. Paul, literally his life mission was to go around and kill Christians. That was his life motto. He hated them. He hated all of that Christ stood for. Paul's mission in life was to imprison, imprison, enslave him, and kill any Christian that got in his way. And what does Acts chapter nine say about him? Paul is a man. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul was chosen. The difference between being a failure and failing is that failure is an identity. Failing is not. You will fail. Plan on it. You might fail today. You might fail tomorrow. You might have failed last night. 
but what you do with it is what ultimately determines your identity. And in fact, your identity is actually what determines your response to it. Jesus calls you chosen. He calls you devoted. He calls you the rock. He calls you a son or a daughter of God. I talked about it after Easter. I talked about it in depth. But the reason that I love reading about Peter is because a lot of times I feel like Peter. I have all this ambition. I have all this zeal for God. But there come this time when I mess up, when God calls me to step out and do this, and I shrink away because I'm scared. I'm meant to not do that. But the temptation sometimes is like, oh my gosh. And we fail. I fail. And Peter, three times had the chance to stand up for Christ, and he didn't. All the three more times, he got more intense that I'm not with Jesus. What I love about the story is that at the very end, after Jesus dies and comes back to life, he goes to Peter and three times gives him a chance to say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He redeems him. And Peter goes from a man who was too scared to stand up for his faith to a little girl to the pioneer of the church. He goes from the man who I can't even stand up for my faith to now I'm going to stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach to thousands about the saving grace of Jesus. God is not using your failure as a contingency plan. He's using your failure to sharpen you and mold you and shape you into the man or woman he's called you to be. You're going to fail. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be scared of it. But if I could just kind of submit, I think there's one more type of failure that might be a little more difficult for some of us to wrap our heads around. John chapter 11. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Mary's going, Jesus, you knew You knew that Lazarus was dying. You knew he was sick. If only you had been here, he might not have had to die. The doubters in the the thing are going, he opened the eyes of the blind. He did miraculous things. Surely he could have been here and saved Lazarus if he wanted to. See, I think failure within our own life is a little tougher to grasp, but I think if some of us were insanely honest, sometimes it feels like God failed us. You're being real. I think sometimes you've had that idea. Why did not why did God not save him? Why did God not heal him? Why did God not help me through this? And we go, God failed me. So I'm gonna turn my back on him because he doesn't care about me one iota. Different kind of failure. But I would submit to you today that God can't fail. He can't. It's not part of who he is. 
Sometimes I think his plan and his timing is hard for us to grapple with. And I'm not going to sit here and try and give justification as to why this person passed away or why you didn't get that or why your miracle didn't happen. Because quite frankly, I don't have that power. I don't have that answer. But what I do know, that Romans 8 says, all things work together for the good of those who love him. I also know this in Exodus chapter 15. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. God's timing is different. His ways are different. I don't know what he's doing when he's doing it, but what I do know is that he sent his son Jesus so that when we fail, when we mess up, we can come back to him. We can be redeemed by him. The only way we can say we're chosen, the only way we can say we're a rock, the only way we can say that we are a son or a daughter of God is because of Jesus making a way for our failures to go away. The word says as far as the east is from the west, is so far as our sin has been separated away from us. Our job is to say, God, I have failed. God, I have messed up. Jesus, I've missed the mark. But would you forgive me? Would you give me a fresh start? Would you dust me off, pick me up, and help me to keep on going? Plan to fail. But by planning to fail, you plan to succeed. Because some of the most successful people in the world have a string and a history of past failures but they chose to persevere. They chose to learn. They chose to assess. And if I could be so as bold as to say, David, Peter, all these guys, the reason they were successful is because at the end of the day, they trusted God. They acknowledged their sin. They turned away from it. They kept on going. They still fell, but they kept chasing him. They kept going after him. So this morning, if every single person in this room could close their eyes, bow your heads, I'm not even going to make you raise your hands. Because it's not a matter of those of us in here who have failed because every hand would go up. Whether big, whether small, whether real, whether it's something that feels so nominal, it doesn't matter. We've all missed the mark. But that's not what defines us. Jesus, we pray and we ask God that you would forgive us for our mistakes. God, you don't see us as sinners. You don't see us as these people who have all these mistakes. Yes, we sin, and yes, we make mistakes, and yes, we are in need of you, but Jesus, you call out who we are. God, your word says we are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new is here. So Jesus, help us to live that new life. Help us to turn away from the things that we keep going back to. Help us stop the things that keep having us go down this path of failure. Jesus, arm us with your strength. Arm us with your love. Arm us with the things that we need to triumph and persevere over this. But God, more than that, we ask for your forgiveness because none of it comes without you. We don't take it for granted. We don't overinflate our ego. We don't rely on our own strength. We say humbly, Jesus, would you forgive me for the ways in which I've fallen? Would you forgive me? I believe in you. I know you can do it. 
God, would you give me a fresh start? And in that moment, our sin and shame and guilt is taken away, God. So Jesus, I pray for forgiveness for each person in this room. I pray they know they're worthy, they're loved, they're chosen. And I pray, God, that when failure comes, you would not run, you would not shake, you would not turn away, but we would look up, trust you, follow you, keep on going in this race of life, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Plan to fail. Plan to succeed through your failure. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.